The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! Let's just listen to Melvin Taylor for the rest of the day. Alrighty. Right after the pop-up pods, we'll start the show. I want everyone at home doing the pop-up pods. Stirring you in You in the yellow car. I didn't hear you singing. Alrighty. Let's get this show on the road, shall we? Hi, my name is Tom Duggan here with the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, top Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. Smoke so much I can't sing anymore. It's one of the drawbacks. Thank you for the coffee, by the way. I'm usually at my fourth cup at this point. This is my first one. Crazy night, crazy morning. Got a great show for you guys today. We've got a bunch of guests here today, so I'm going to forego my uh, opening rant that I usually do. I do want to remind you we've got a presidential debate tonight, and if you are interested, uh, pop onto my Facebook page. When the debate is over, I'm going to go live, and I'm going to bring my readers in and my followers in. If you're interested to tell me what you thought of the debate, who you thought won, what you thought the best lines were, we'll do that for a little while. Um, I'm still off the wagon, so I'll be drinking tonight. So we're going to do that live until I'm not really capable of doing it anymore, and then I'm just going to (laughs) go offline. I want to thank our sponsors, McLennan Real Estate. We love Sam and Janet and, um, and Matt. Uh, they actually just did a great video that I posted on my page yesterday about whether or not there's going to be uh, a housing bubble burst, whether there's going to be a foreclosure uh, a burst. We'll talk about that a little bit today uh, just for uh, McLennan Real Estate. AFC Urgent Care, you want to get your COVID test, you go online, you put your name, your address, or all, the, all your personal stuff in, then you they give you a date. Uh, they give you a time, usually within 24 hours. You drive up, they give you your COVID test, they call you later on, and they let you know, I think within 24 hours, whether you've got it or you don't. EIS investigation and gun training. We love EIS, and we've sent them a couple of... Uh, what I love about EIS is uh, Joe Solomon only advertises on the show because it pisses people off. 
uh, that, that he's that he's advertising on my show. He's buying Duggan. He's buying him. Um, so ever since these people started telling him, saying that that I'm being bought, I, I went to him and said, "Well, you, you might as well just be giving me money, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, you're right. If they're going to accuse us, we might as well just be doing it." So uh, EIS Investigations is only really advertising to piss people off, but they're actually getting business out of the show. So I really, I, I really like that. Jeff Defour, who was here, and I, I said it wrong. It's not Defour. It's Defour. Defour. I apologize. Good enough. Uh, who's running for state representative is is uh, is is sponsoring the show uh, as well as Lenny Mara, state representative, who's also here with us today. Uh, Borelli's Deli, where I'll be going to pick up the deli meats for tonight's little party. Uh, we have a little office party. We, we whenever there's a debate or something, we get like you know the drivers, people that like hang out at the office all the time. We do that, and we always get Borelli's Deli. We get like meat platters and stuff for people, and they always like that. Clear Path, New England. They were here last week. They'll be here again next month to talk about how they're helping homeless veterans. They're helping veterans get uh, uh, service dogs. Uh, JG's ice cream. We love JG's ice cream. It's you know summer might be over, but you know ice cream's good twenty twenty four seven. Ice cream's good like in February. So um, we hope that they're going to stay with us. Now at the end of a car wash, and we have a new. Uh, advertiser starting, I think, next week. Andover Optical, I think, is coming on board next week. So um, I, I don't, I don't know how this happened. I did this show, like I did radio for thirty years, and said I'd never do it again. And and then a friend of mine came to me and says, "You really should be doing podcasts." I'm like, "Look, I want no part of the radio business. I hate it. I did it for thirty years. I'm done. I'm burnt out." He said, "No, no, no. You, you, you you've got to do it. You just, you have to do it." So I came in. He made an appointment for me and Dave. We talked about a bunch of stuff. And by the end of the conversation, I had a podcast, right? So this was just something that I was just doing like as a little hobby to help promote the newspaper. I had no idea we'd actually be making money on sponsors on this show. I'm almost making more money on the show now than I'm making on the paper. And that's pretty sick. That's pretty sick. So I want to thank all of our sponsors. We want to say hi to Dawn Sign Tech. Uh, free plug for her. And Four Star Lighting and Electric. We love uh, Joe Silverio. He'll be here after the election to talk about like all the stuff that happened during the election. On the line with us, we're going to start with uh, State Representative Christina Minacucci. She's she's a she's a Democrat, and she's everything that you would think when I say she's a Democrat. She's you know kind of left wing. Uh, she wears her Birkenstocks, and you know she's for all the crazy stuff that makes us us conservatives nuts. Um, but she's also a really good person, and she's actually she's also very good at constituent services. Now, there's a lot of Democrats that I'm going to be supporting, and we'll talk about it throughout the show. Um, I, I am not a Republican, and people, I love the hate mail that I get always start with, you, you Republicans are this, and you Republicans are that. I'm not a Republican. Um, I am very conservative, probably more conservative than anybody that you know. But when it comes to state rep races, and I'm going to say this because she's here, when it comes to state rep races... Uh, their job is to represent. And one of the things I learned from Diana DeSaglio is that it doesn't matter what your ideology is. If you're a representative and your constituent services are stellar, you deserve to get reelected. So I want to thank uh, Christina Minacucci for coming, for coming on the show today and, and tell people, I voted for you last time. I did. Didn't want to. Saw the D. I know where you stand on all kinds of crazy stuff like <laughs> Pasha birth abortion and all that oh. stuff. And I'm looking at the D, and I'm looking at the D, and I'm going, I love Lisa Ferry so much, but uh, constituent services, I know she'd be good at constituent services, so I voted for you. And, and I have not been disappointed. Do you have an, an, an opponent uh, this year, uh, Representative Minacucci? Um, I, I was just unmuting myself, the world of Zoom. Uh, no, I do not have a um, an opponent. All right, so I'm not getting any. I'm not. I'm not going to be in trouble with anybody by the end of this interview. 
You'll so, probably be in trouble with a lot of people because that's what you do. Well, it is what I do. She, she knows me well. Um, and, and somehow we're still friends, even though it takes me three months to get a, a text return sometimes. Seriously, it's been bad. I mean, you used to always, I used to be right on it, but you know. I used to text her and like, as I'm sending texts, she's answering me. And then suddenly it's, she's so busy that, you know, us little people. I'm actually really busy with constituent services. With constituent services. Stuff, so, so can you talk about your two years as a state rep and what are the, some of the things that the, that the state uh, has accomplished some of the things that you'd like to work on for the next two years? Well, I say that um, the Merrimack Valley delegation with, uh, with Rep Mira here, we've really made the Merrimack River a priority and it's, it's, it's important. I know you do a lot of work with clean river project. I know you do a lot of work. Um, I know you care a lot about it also, but you know, we've been trying to um, get additional funding to stop combined sewer overflows. So not very exciting talking about poop, but that's for you. So um, <laughs> that has really been one of our um, our biggest focuses and, and uh, Rep. Linda Dean Campbell's really been leading the charge on that too in the House. And so as a delegation, I think we've made a lot of noise and made ourselves known. And uh, so we did get some legislation passed through the House to stop that, to stop, um, to notify people when sewer, when there's a combined sewer overflow. So with all this COVID stuff going on and, and the, the country was shut down for a couple of months and some people still not open in Massachusetts because of all the ridiculous regulations, um, what do you see the city, the state budget looking like with all of that lack of revenue? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little rocky. So um, we've been having meetings over the past week or so talking about it. And, you know, the governor came out with his revised budget, which was actually a lot rosier than I would have ever possibly thought. Um, I think our local earmarks are basically going to disappear unless all of a sudden we get a big infusion of federal dollars. But I don't really see that happening. I, mean, I think the way that you know, what's been tough for communities like ours is that our small businesses have gone above and beyond, jumped through every single hoop that was thrown at them um, by the Baker administration. And um, they did it all. And now we are still hung up with this problem of having Merrimack College in our community and keeping us in this red zone. Um, and I, I have been on more phone conversations trying to figure out how we can prove that our businesses are prepared to have people come through the door and to keep people safe. So um, I think that's really a big challenge for us. We got to keep people working and we, they can't work if we can't open businesses. So, so I guess my, I guess one of the things that frustrates me and I'm interested to hear what the two gentlemen think um, after you're done. Uh, one of the things that frustrates me is, you know, we're all grown ups. I'm kind of a libertarian in a lot of ways, although I'm not a libertarian because I've met libertarians. They're a little crazy. Um, the, the, ex the extremes on both sides are very scary. Um, but, but I'm kind of li a libertarian in a lot of ways. Uh, I think we're all a bunch of grown ups, right? And if restaurants want to open, they ought to be able to open. And if restaurants think they can handle it at 100% capacity, they ought to be able to make that choice. And I'm very frustrated that people who are in government think that the government knows better than they do that the government should control them. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that, given that you're on the other side of the ideological spectrum than I am. Well, I mean, yeah, I think, I actually think Charlie Baker's done a really good job, which most Republicans are kind of on the fence about that these days. But um, I think he's done a great job. You know, at the end of the day, he, 
he's a fighter and he likes winning, right? He, he's, he's, he's an athlete. He is, he just always wants to win. So when I look at the moves that he's made, he wants to, he wants Massachusetts to be the first state that has eradicated COVID that has gotten out of control and that has people back to work. And I know that. And so I know the steps that he's taken have sometimes felt a little bit extreme, but he has been very quick to start, you know, against what a lot of the progressives are saying. He's been very quick to, to start opening things back up much faster than those very, very progressive people that want to see everything closed down for a long time. He's been very quick to open things back up. And, and I'm, I'm with you a little bit. Like I do want to make sure that we keep safe and I want people to stay safe. And so I'm okay with having mask rules and things like that in public places. But I agree with you in that I think that our small businesses especially have really gone above and beyond. And I think that you're right. Like I make choices about what places I want to go into. I walk in, if I feel safe there, I, I, I go there. If I feel like people are not following the rules or doesn't feel safe to me, I turn around and I walk back out. And, and that's ultimately my decision, right? right. So um, I'm just very concerned about there being so many restrictions that our small businesses go under. So what? So what do you do? See, this is this is my big thing. If if you're on the if you're the exact opposite of my political ideology, and you kind of feel the same way I do. What do you do about that? Because the people who are making these decisions are not elected officials; they're appointed by the governor in some way. We don't know who they are, and 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 we don't know what their political ideology is. And the decisions that they're making are not best for the state. I mean, I've watched the I've watched the decisions that they've made, and it's ridiculous. So what do you do? What, if you feel the same way I do, what do you do about that? Well, I mean, I'm not sure I feel exactly the same way you do, because <laughs> I think they have made some I, in the beginning. I think doing what the governor did was exactly what we needed to do. We had to just get it under control, stop community spread, make sure that we had capacity in the hospitals and we had a you know a good methodology of how we were going to manage people. So that was exactly what needed to be done. In fact, I thought he waited too long because I have friends in both in China and Italy and Spain and I was watching how things were unfolding and I was like we are way behind this. And so, um, you know, I, I think that he did the right thing when he did it. I think he was really good at, at getting everything necessary to, you know, get us in a good position. So I think that's good. But when it comes to um, where we are now, we've curbed community spread. We're, you know, we're showing really good forward movement in most communities. Um, those communities should have a lot more flexibility to figure out what's right for them. Um, you know, any place where there's community spread that's different because the hospitals may not be able to handle it. But um, in places without community spread, I think having local control is actually a really good thing so that, you know, locals can make decisions about what makes sense for their community. Because right. we're all different. All right. We can't man it. We can't function in North Andover the same way that Boston is functioning. It's not even relevant. And it's the same thing with like, the housing situation and the eviction moratorium, you know, there are a lot of people pushing to continue that. That might work in places like Boston, but here in the Merrimack Valley, like I, I talked to my constituents, my constituents need their rental income to survive. Right. So, you know, you have a whole different constituency. Our community banks can't support, um, you can't support this for a long time. And at the end of the day, they'll start laying off people. It's going to start hurting our businesses and it's all tied together. So we can't really, a lot of these policies can't really come from the state level. They have to come at the local level. I have so many questions and so little time. Um, <laughs> so little time. What, what is the state doing? I'm a small business, right? I, am, I have one employee. Everybody else is a contractor who works for me. Um, 
we continued publishing through COVID, right? We published with no revenue in April. We published with no revenue in May. Um, and we used up all of our, all, all of our set aside money, all of our slush fund money, you know, the, the, our savings to keep going through COVID. And, and, and I've seen no help from the state. I've seen no help from the state for rent for my office. I've seen no help from the state as far as community development block grants to help small businesses that have like maybe less than 10 or less than five employees. I know Methuen is doing something. What is the state doing to help small businesses like me? Because I've used up all my savings. I've used up everything that we had. Uh, we, you know, we took out some credit. I got a $6,000 PPP loan um, just to keep going. And thank God I got it when I did. It was like mid-June and we were literally down to our last penny when, we, when, it, when it hit. Um, but now we're back in the same position, right? Because a lot of businesses reopen and they can't afford to advertise right away, right? They reopen and they're going to spend their money on PPE and trying to get people into work and, and buying product again and everything else. What are you guys doing for small guys like me? Well, the governor actually did just announce a new program today with um, um, MGCC and don't ask me right in this moment what that stands for because I'm blanking. But um, Larry from MGCC has been a, an amazing partner for us uh, post Columbia Gas. Um, when we did the, we have a small business recovery group, and Larry has worked with us on that project from the beginning. Um, and so we've really been very lucky to have Secretary Keneally come out here too and talk about how, you know, talk about the particular challenges that we face here in the Merrimack Valley, but specifically Lawrence, Methuen, North Andover, Andover, Haverhill, um, and really have had a lot of input in in what needs what needs to happen. So I, I do think that those conversations and his previous relationship with our area really informed this new program that's coming out, which will have programming for businesses like five and under. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of tiny grants that have come out, but they're all competitive grants. And, you know, there are so many people who are competing for that same um, pie. And most of that money is going to places like Lawrence because they're, you know, because they're poor communities. But, you know, I serve Lawrence, right? I, I service Lawrence. We, we write news about Lawrence. We distribute all over Lawrence. Same thing with Methuen. But we're headquartered in North Andover, so we don't, we don't qualify for a lot of that stuff. What do we qualify? Someone who's in my position, there's a brand new business opened up on Main Street downstairs from me uh, two days ago. Uh, North Andover Merchants Association, we're out there doing ribbon cutting. They do great work. Uh, I was there. <laughs> oh, oh, and I'm sorry I missed you. Um, I was there, yeah. <laughs> it was an ungodly hour, like 11 a.m., and there's just no it way. It was I'm... way, way before your wake up time. Absolutely. Um, so, so what do you guys do? How does this program help us? And then we have to let you go. I think this new program will be able to help you. But, you know, North Andover did have a pretty robust program early on for rental assistance for businesses, but the need was pretty great. So, I mean, the only silver lining of Columbia Gas was that we had a pool of money to spend. And there's still some money left. And that is specifically just for economic development. It can't be handouts to businesses. That last pool of money could be checks straight right. out. And so I think that you'll see some more movement of money in North Andover for businesses that comes from our own yeah, part of I, I, I know I, like in Haverhill, they're using some, you know, I was on a call just before this and we we're talking about um, using some of the money for a restaurant program, which we did in Lawrence for about eight weeks. The program ran in Lawrence with some um, fundraising and some grants. So, you know, just ways to support restaurants, but, um, you know, supporting other small businesses like yours is a little bit trickier because it's not as, um, you know, it's, it's easy to say, okay, we're going to do gift cards to a restaurant and you can do a gift card program, but 
how do you do a gift card program to you? I'm sure you could come up with something. Yeah, we, 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 we could figure something out. And um, we just need, you know, we just need the help. And when I applied for the rental assistance for my office, and there were 200 available grants, and I was number 241 when I applied. And I applied like an hour after it went live. Like I went yeah. literally like an hour after it went live, I finally got in. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you're number 244. And I didn't get it. So I had to actually pay my rent in March, in April, and in May. And again, we, we, had to, we had to spend down our, our, our savings because there was no revenue coming in. How do you bill you know, the clatter or the Irish cottage or, or J&W shoes when they're not even open? They can't even take advantage of the advertising. So It is. It's, gonna be, it's actually going to be a really big issue. And I was on the phone yesterday with some um, of the community banks. I've been just polling them and seeing what their numbers look like. And you know they're really worried about how many delinquent loans are going to start coming up because they can give deferrals, deferment for about six months. And after that, they have to start changing the status of those loans. And so, you know, for families, their commercial loans typically, um, you know, plus all the restaurants, the commercial properties, the commercial properties like the one that you're in where the downstairs has retail, upstairs has housing, um, you know, properties like that are, are going, you know, the, it could be problematic coming up in the next year. So when you talk about the budget, okay, well, our current budget, we're probably going to be okay. And I'll, I'll put Rep Mira on the spot for what fiscal year 22 is going to look like. <laughs> Cause that's going to be, that's going to be the real challenge. And it's yes. kind of like, Oh, sorry, my the sun's getting wacky. Um, you know, just same for North Andover and for some of our um, municipalities that this year we're probably going to get by because of the stimulus money and different things that have come through. It's fiscal year 22. Right. That's um, really going to pose some challenges. So. Well, and she- Rep Mira is going to solve it all. <laughs> During this show, absolutely. In, on this show <laughs> yes. today, he's going to solve all of the future <laughs> budgetary issues as the result. Stay tuned. Listen, Lenny's my go-to guy to solve anything. Yes, <laughs> to solve Lenny's anything. A, Lenny's a good partner. I I spend I spend time with Lenny and Haverhill. We we share Kingsbury Street. Right. I, we wave to each other across the street if we were out walking the district. But can, um, I, can I can I say as we wrap up because we have to let you go? But can I say that I really appreciate uh, Christine that you and Lenny, you know, who's here, um, are not like most people in the political world where they see uh, someone of the other party as the enemy. Uh, I, I see you getting along with me. I see you getting along with Lenny. You're far left. We're far right. And yet we still are friendly. We still are civil to each other. We still work together on certain things. And I think, I think that makes you a role model in the community, and I don't say that lightly, because there's a lot of people out there who will, they will even unfriend me, they'll friend me on Facebook, they'll see that I posted something that I like Donald Trump, and I'll get a nasty email, and they'll say, I'm unfriending you, I'm blocking you, you're a, pe- you're a piece of whatever, and, and there's a lot of that out there, and I think it's really important for people in leadership positions to show their supporters, to show the people in their own party, that they don't have to be hateful toward the other side, that you can be civil, and that you can get along and just disagree. Yeah. And I also, and you know, and the reason why you like me so much is because I always call you out on your crap and you love people like that. I do. Listen, I, most of my friends are not conservative. Most of my friends are very liberal. Um, and I, and I think, I think it's important for people to not live in that bubble. There's just so much. I was in line the other day and then I'll let you go. I was in line the other day at a Salem, New Hampshire, uh, liquor store. And I got to the front of the line and the lady behind the counter had a Biden Harris mask on. And of course, I waited till after she rang up my stuff and gave it back to me. And I said, you know, I'm not voting for your candidate, 
but I still think you're a nice person anyway. And the guy behind me said, well, I don't. And he saw the mask and turned around and walked out. So I got back out to my car and I said to the guy, listen, you don't even know her. She believes it's something different than you. And he just went off on me. And I said, listen, I'm voting for Trump. I'm with you. But there's no need to treat somebody like that. And we actually stood there and argued for about an hour. And I walked away thinking, there's just so much hatred out there. We've got to do something. And it starts with people like you and Lenny and Jeff. It starts with the people at the top who have followers in their own party that can see them doing what you guys do and then hopefully follow. Well, I have to tell you that um, someday in your you, in your Google search, go Google um, Pat McGravy's YouTube channel. He's a teacher at the middle school. And you can watch Jim Kelkhorst and I on film <laughs> doing Republicans and Democrats can't be friends and um, watch the eighth graders talk about how they thought that Jim and I were going to be like ground grappling each other. I definitely would have lost that, by the way. I'll be, post- um, I'll be posting that later. <laughs> but it's very funny. So we have a whole like Republicans and Democrats actually can be friends episode on his show. That's and it's, awesome. It's pretty cute. So. Well, thank you so much, Christina. I appreciate it. Um, I miss having two-hour conversations with you when we're on both ends of the spectrum. Like, you know, we, well, we have to. Have, why don't you come in after the election, and we'll chat about what happened and oh, where we where, where we go from here. That'll be fun. Then you'll see the other side of Christina. Right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Representative Minacucci. I'm voting for you, even though you have nobody on the ballot running against you. And even though you don't like me, I, I mean, you love me, but I, I, mean, I, I do love you. I just I don't agree with you on anything. <laughs> no, really. Tom, you actually do agree with her on some things. I do. Yes, you know the first formal session we have in the House is when, on when House State Representative Lenny Mara. For those listening, audio. Go ahead. Well, the first f- real formal session that we have is on House rules. And every session, Republicans and a tiny number of very brave Democrats will put forth um, new rules on openness and transparency, um, things like making committee testimony and committee votes public, put them on a website so that you and the media and the public can see what we're doing in our committees. And um, Representative Minacucci, as a freshman rep, voted with those very brave Democrats and Republicans for more openness and more transparency on things like making Committee testimony public. And that's something that doesn't get any press at all. You'll talk about, you know, the lack of openness and transparency in Beacon Hill. It's shamefully bad at Beacon Hill. Um, But Representative Minicucci stood up and actually, I think, did the right thing. And I'd argue that every bit as important as any vote she takes on social issues. I agree. Christina, the speaker um, must hate you. Our friend here in North Andover from uh, Mass Fiscal Alliance was all prepared to say my representative didn't vote for transparency, and well, he was stunned. Well, he can't say that now because nope. uh, Christina, you did the right thing, and uh, you should be commended right. for that. Because we, you know what? Like, first of all, anybody who knows me knows that I'm brutally honest. I yep. have like a tiny filter, like a slightly bigger <laughs> filter than Tom, but really don't have a big filter. So I'm always going to tell people the truth. I can't lie. So whatever you ask me, I'm going to tell you the truth, right? So why not just vote for it and make it public in the first place? Absolutely. Right? I'm going to hide. State representative. Well, I'm going to hide now because I'm going to go disappear and try to. Um, but thank you, Tom, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, State Representative. We appreciate everything that you do in the community. And best of luck, Jeff and Lenny. You too, Christina. Thank Take you. care. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much, Christina Minacucci. Sitting with me is State Representative Lenny Mera and Jeff Dufour, who's a candidate for State Representative. Uh, Jeff, you're running against uh, Tram Wynn. Um, I've actually had a couple of conversations with Tram. She is, boy, she's further to the left than Christina Minacucci. (laughs) I mean, she's really there. I mean, she is as far left as you can go without being a communist. Um, And we we had a long conversation about 
homelessness, things that we kind of agree on. Like the, even, even someone as far right as me and as far left as her can agree on certain things, mm-hmm. right? Um, and my first question to her was, if you Democrats care so much about the homeless, I'm a homeless advocate, I go out and I do stuff. Um, why is it that we have so many homeless people in Massachusetts and the Democrats are doing nothing about it? So I think my first question to you, you're running against Tram Wynn. Her mm-hmm. answer was very kind of convoluted, right? Um, well, we have programs, we do this, we increase funding for that, but none of that actually helps the actual person on the street. Um, if you get elected, you're running, um, and you're a Republican, so people wouldn't expect it of you. Um, do you how, what do you think about the way we're treating the homeless and the addicts on the street? Because they're committing crimes, they're causing all kinds of problems, they're addicted, they break into cars, they break into homes to buy, get things to sell for their drugs, they have no place to live, they have no food, um, and yet we're run by almost all Democrats. And Democrats are the ones who say they care about the poor. If you get elected, are you going to do anything for the, for the home? What do you think your thoughts on all this? Can I be more convoluted? Sure. <laughs> I could try. So, sure. No, we certainly have a problem with that. I mean, um, I, it, when you get to homeless, I mean, some of the stuff that I've, I've already put out there and published, it said, you know, we've got to start taking care of our own first. And when I talk about the immigration issue, that's usually where I'm starting. Mm-hmm. The ones that uh, usually come to mind with me was just homeless veterans. You know, people who fought for this country or serve for this country should be top of the list on just about everything for treatment, et cetera. And then other than that, just, you know, citizens, taxpayers, people who have paid their way, you know, in a way we owe them something back. Specifically how to do that, not my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but that's the point. Right. I, I, we need to get people whose area of expertise that is to make those decisions. Sure. Quite often, politicians are not the best people to decide how to solve the problem. We should right. be getting the experts in to do that. Because I see all these programs, and whenever I talk to a Democrat, especially someone who's elected, and I ask them, you know, well, we're out there every day, and these programs do nothing for people who are homeless. Well, all these programs do is give jobs to people who are connected to politicians who work in an office and shuffle paper all day, and maybe one-tenth of one percent of what gets allocated actually makes it down to the bottom level to some nonprofit that's run by somebody who's connected to a Democrat politician, and what they service is very little to the act. Like, if, if you go out and you actually talk to the people who need the service, mm-hmm. the people on the streets, and ask them, like, what programs that they've applied for, what programs, they've all applied for everything, and they all get nothing, like almost nothing, Right. So, yeah. so programs don't work. We know that. Throwing money at the problem doesn't work. But what does seem to work is, I don't know, buying them food and giving it to them. Um, increasing the housing stock for low-income, for, for no-income people. We used to have these, um, what we call them flop houses in the 70s. We call them rooming houses in the 80s, uh, whatever they're called. Um, they were all closed down because they were mean, right? Mm-hmm. You had all these poor people in one place, and it didn't look good, and it didn't look good in the, in, for the community. The community didn't like them. But once we got rid of those, all these people went out on the streets. Once we closed Danvers, all these people went out on the streets. And you've got a lot of organizations, though, that, uh, they're be- like I said, they're better at that. You've, you've got a lot of uh, religious organizations. You've got other organizations. That's their area of expertise is taking care of people, actually creating homes, creating places with beds, bringing them in off the streets. Because mm-hmm. I agree with you that, you know, the homeless is an, is an issue. Um, I, like I said, I'm not not my area to actually solve that problem. Well, but I up. knew the problem is there, bringing, and I know it's one that needs to be addressed. Right. I'm bringing it up because you you might win, right? Mm-hmm. And if you do, we want somebody, especially a Republican, in there who's going to be a homeless advocate, well, helping helping homeless people, and yeah. being a homeless advocate. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to no. Keep on. going. Keep going. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, and, and so we just want to put it on your radar screen in case you win. 
That you know there were, pe- there were people out there doing angels' work, like Michael Gorman, and you know they go out every Wednesday night and they mm-hmm. feed the homeless. They just set up tables. They ask for donations online. Harrow's mm-hmm. Pies last night donated sixty pies, and I don't mean little pies. I mean well, the big the ones. Big ones yeah. And they pull up with a truck, and they and they and and the homeless were thrilled. Um, but we, yeah. but they do it with no government money. Not one right. elected official from Lawrence. It's completely run by Democrats. Not mm-hmm. one elected official from Lawrence has ever come to help. And I, I just want people in the legislature to be mindful of this stuff and, 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 and be thinking about it come budget time. In, but did, I want to go back to what you were saying. In addition to government budget, um, encouraging the kind of what I'll call the private sector, but there really isn't, you know, the, the, the private sector to take care of that as well is, uh, is beneficial. Like I said, a lot of these other organizations are very good at this. They right. find a way to raise money without saying, you have to raise taxes to raise money. They'll actually go out and, and create programs to generate enough revenue to support their organization. Right. So, how tough has it been campaigning with COVID? I mean, tough. You know, usually you go door <laughs> yeah. to door, you talk right. to people, right? And and with you know with with most most voters are elderly, right? So they're they're petrified to open the door. <laughs> oh yeah, right. That so, six foot rule in some homes is sixty feet. Right. If you walk I, into the driveway without a mask on, oh, yeah. you get yelled at. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's been tough. Lenny, how about you? It's been, you yep. moved from Newbury to Georgetown. Yeah. So now you've got a new neighborhood, right? People don't really know you that well. So are you knocking your own neighborhood now because? Yeah, you know, typically when you run for state rep, that's how you win. You knock on the most doors. You knock on more doors than your opponent, but we can't do that this time. Uh, but we do still do our lit drops where we just hang that's a piece of literature on doorknobs. But you can't knock, Tom, because, you know, I think in my district, it's a pretty conservative libertarian district. You know, Newberry, West Newbury, Georgetown, Grove, and Boston. But even there, there's a lot of elderly people that don't want some stranger knocking on their door. Mm-hmm. So you leave literature, hope for the best. But you know what? Uh, this year has been amazingly positive. And a lot of people, because the weather's been good, are outside. They're doing their mm-hmm. yard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got the kids out in the yard, maybe. And so you encounter a lot of people still. And um, it has been remarkably positive this yeah. time. Way more so than 2018. Really? 2018, for some reason, people, um, you know... They would ask what party you are, and as soon as you said Republican, boy, just get off my property. But this year has been better. You would think with Trump at the top of the ticket in Massachusetts that you'd be – because my prediction has been from the beginning that you're in trouble because yeah. Trump's at the top of the ticket, and there's a lot of a lot of those deranged Trump haters are going to go D straight down. The, <laughs> they don't care if Christ comes back yep. from the dead and runs as a Republican and gets out of Hitler. Hitler's getting the vote. Because of Donald Trump at the top of the ticket, so I'm worried about you. I'm worried about because you are a great state rep, and you, oh, thank you. you are. And I hear, believe me, I get complaints a lot about state reps, about police chiefs, about mayors. People call my office with every complaint in the world because I'm a newspaper, and I almost never get any complaints about you. Well, you know what? Like I said, these are conservative towns, and Trump actually carried Bradford, which is in my district, and he carried Groveland. And my other towns were close, like 49, 51%. Yeah, but you got Newburyport and he. No, no, I don't. Oh, Jim, you don't have Jim Kelly. Oh, Jim okay, Kelquist okay. has Newburyport, right. and that's a killer one for him. And, um, and he's got an opponent. Yes, he so does. So he, he could be done. Well, he's fighting his for his life, like he always has to, because he's got Ainsbury, Salisbury, Newburyport, but Newburyport's almost half the district. Right. And they vote very far left. And so, you know, he always has well funded opponents. We always do. Like my opponent outraises, she outspent me four to one in 2018. Wow. Because they have these groups that just raise, like um, Act Blue, that just raise tens of thousands of dollars uh, for their candidates. So, uh, but my, I'm, I'm safer because. Like I said, Georgetown, Groveland, these are pretty conservative towns by Massachusetts standards. And moderate Republicans win them every time. Not just Charlie Baker, but, you know, Mitt Romney, um, Scott Brown, uh, Richard say They would always win these towns. Even, like, that opponent to Ed Markey, Brian Hur, he he won my district as well. Really? Yep. 
Yeah, and because so, like I said, they they vote for moderate Republicans. So now, you know, loud ones. Um, Jeff Deal didn't win my district. Um, you know, Jay McMahon did not win my district. Um, so it's hard to run like as that kind of Republican. Um, but if you're a moderate one and um, you're sensible, the people in my district are are amazingly open minded about it. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now you've got a very different district, right? Because your district was was represented by Jim Lyons, yeah. Yeah. literally the most conservative person on the face of the earth next Probably. to me, right? And it went from Jim Lyons far, far, far right, maybe even to the right of me on some things, if that's possible, to a far to as far left. opposite left. Indiva has taken a far left turn. His mm-hmm. district has taken a far left turn. How do you? How do you? How do you negate that? How do you... I, th- I think... I'm, I was listening to Lenny talk. Um, similar. I'm getting a great response walking around. But I think my biggest fear, especially with the, the Trump impact, is that if Trump voters... And I I hear this all the time. They're saying, well, this is Massachusetts. you know, And, and they kind of have the attitude, we're not even going to vote. That's the worst thing that could happen. Right. Because you can't just vote based on that top ticket. You know, there's a lot of down ticket people in there that are really good, that are counting on these guys showing up. Right. And, and I'm one of those. As far as what the district looks like... It's pockets. There are some precincts in some towns that you're right, I'm not even going to spend a minute in because there's no way I can walk through them. But there are other precincts and in other towns that I have a really good shot at. Um, the one, one I'm in, actually, the two precincts I have in Tewksbury, um, they're very conservative. Mm-hmm. I should be able to, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll win those. And then the rest is just a numbers game all the way through. Um, similar to what you're saying, when you're walking around, though, and, and I will say I'm doing the same thing. I started doing literate drops in, in July. Um, there's an advantage of that, and exactly what Lenny says. You're trying to hit as many homes as possible. If you actually knock on every door, you don't get many homes in. Right. So just talking to the people who are already outside, playing in the yard, doing stuff, is enough of a conversation. But I had a, a conversation with a gentleman early on. Introduced myself as a Republican. He said, well, we must be the only two. And I said, okay, I've got a little cheat sheet here. I said, I'm going to go to 100 homes in the next four hours, and every one of them votes conservative. My goal is to make sure they all vote. If they all show up, I think we've got a pretty good chance. Um, So, yes, that district is shifting. um, But to your point... It's hard to go all the way from far right to far left. I know it's still in the middle, so I think it's a 50-50 split, and we just got to see who comes out. So you're not worried. Are you worried, though, with the, with the, the Trump hatred out there that, that the, the Ds are just going to go straight down? I'll, I'll tell you, I walk up to doors that have a Biden sign on the front lawn because if they have the entire deep slate of signs on the front lawn, then I don't. Right. But there are people that have just decided they're not going to vote for Trump. They're going to vote for Biden. But it doesn't mean that in their minds they've already said, I'm going to go straight D down the ticket. So I give that one a shot. Okay. I think there's some people that are just saying, and some of it's personality. You know, Trump's got a, a personality that, let's just say, offends some people. <laughs> and if you're offended by that, so you're not going to vote, it doesn't mean you're not going to look at all the down tickets and say, well, this person is too far right for me, or in this case, this person's too far left for me. Um, so I'm, I'm still counting on the fact that some people are thinking their way through each race and not just doing straight D all the way through. What, what is your platform? What are you running on? What's, what's your, t- your top issue? My top issues is uh, fiscal responsibility. I think, especially with COVID this coming year, you know, what is it, $6 billion in the hole? You're going to need a lot of tough decisions to be made. I've been in business Thank for you. 36 years, had to balance a budget every year, had to choose what gets 
you know, what makes it through the next year, but what gets caught. So um, I'm bringing that to the table. Second one really is uh, public safety. Uh, we've gone through a lot. I'm a back the blue guy. We've um, When I got into this, the back the blue wasn't even an issue. So with the public safety, have even come up more. I've got a nephew who's a state trooper here in Massachusetts. So, um, you know, you, 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 a lot of personal responsibility there. And the third one really is the transparency. Um, I had put that on the list at the beginning just because, as Lenny was saying, and I didn't, I hadn't met Lenny at that time. Lenny and I met, I think, 4th of July. He's one of the, yeah, it was. He was one of the first guys to kind of pull me aside and said, this is what you got to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to be able to work with him and learn a lot more over the, the coming years. Um, but the transparency is a big deal because you, you should – you know, I know whatever decision I make, I got to own it, you know, and you don't own it when you do it behind the closed doors and you can walk out and say, Hey, you know, I don't know how it happened that it was just decided. No, you did something. Right. That's your job. People are going to like you or they're not. I used to tell the teams that uh, I led that said, you know, it's, it's better to be respected than liked. And at the end of the day, you got to own your decisions. People will respect you. Some of them won't like you, but that's just the job. Lenny, what, what, what platform issues are you running on? What are the issues that the people in your district care about um, as you're running against this far left wing opponent? Well, before the pandemic hit, you know what? It was schools, it was funding, and we got that Student um, Opportunity Act passed, which was major, uh, which was going to help all our towns. But then overnight, because of the pandemic, I think it's been flipped around. I think the most important thing right now is getting the economy back up and running. Mm -hmm. Because um, before that hit, we had... A booming economy. We had more job openings than people to fill it. A good problem to have, by the right. way. But now it's like we've got hundreds of thousands of people and um, small businesses in the same situation that you just described, unable to pay your rent. And I think that has to take priority right now. we got to mm -hmm. get the economy back up and running again and get people back into jobs. Listen, we all have priorities like schools, roads, bridges, environment, veterans, whatever. It all requires revenue. Well, our biggest source of revenue, of course, is the Massachusetts income tax. Well, you can't make a lot of revenue if people are out of work. Right. So getting those people back into the jobs, I think, has to be a priority. Get the small businesses up and running. And fortunately, this governor gets it. He just put forth that package that Christina Minicucci just described, which is going to help out a lot of small businesses. And I had a conversation with uh, U.S. Rep. Lori Trahan just last week. She's been amazingly open and, and accessible. And we talked about a bill that they have that's um, in Congress right now that would also help small businesses. And I think there's some relief in there for renters and for um, restaurants as well, mm -hmm. like specifically for those groups. Because I think the restaurants got whacked more than just about any other industry. And some of them, Tom, are never coming back. Right. You know, I got the beach coma out in Plum Island in my district. Tiny little place. That's a typical mom and pop thing where perhaps an entire family re relies on that business for all their income. Mm -hmm. It's not Olive Garden or Red Lobster, which is owned by a giant conglomerate or shareholders. That's that family's income. And a lot of them, like I said, are just falling by the wayside and will never make it back. So... You ask what the priority is, I think that has to be the number one priority as right. soon as we are sworn in in January. Uh, what, one of the things that we need, and I've talked to Diana about it, and I've talked to Linda Campbell about it, and so far I've gotten nowhere. Um, we're, a small, we're a small newspaper, yep. right? But we're not the only one out there. Mm -hmm. You've got Methuen Life. You've got Salem Life. You've got um, Nathaniel Citizen. You've got, we used to have Methuen Loop. He's gone under. Um, but you've got a lot of small businesses like us. And I know that Methuen Life, I know Steve Whipple is hurting worse than I am because he actually go. He, he's, he's a homeowner. Yeah. Remortgaged his house to, oh. to, to help, you know, yeah. to help his business. And, and now he's getting whacked just like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And without small independently owned media outlets, 
small radio stations like WCCM and Methuen, small newspapers like uh, Methuen Life and myself. Um, people have to rely on cable news for their news, and that's not where you get your news. You really you get real news from your local people, right? So I called Diana, I called uh, State Representative Campbell, and said, you know, how about a, a, a spending program for small businesses where you give the money to small businesses, but they have to spend it on advertising. They have to spend it to let people know, what are your new hours? What are the, what are the PPE requirements if you come in? Do you have to have a mask? Do you have to have it the whole time? Um, you know, whatever, whatever the you know, new hours, days that they might not be open now that they used to be open before. And Diana said, oh, that's a great idea, but I don't think we'll ever get it passed. And, and Linda said, well, you know, if we do it for that industry, we might have to do it for other industry. But this is the cradle of our democracy. Newspapers, especially small local newspapers, are the cradle of our democracy. Can, can we get something passed to help the small media outlets out there that are closing? They were closing left and right before this. Now they're really closing left and right. And, and it's making people's voices smaller. No, it's a, it's a very real problem, Tom, because you know, the, the media we rely on now, like cable news, CNN, Fox, whatever, and even like the Boston Globe, New York Times, yeah, they're great about uh, reporting national news. But they won't talk about a selectman's meeting or a mayoral race or anything at the municipal or state level. They just don't. They right. can't. They right. don't have the people. In the Globe, they don't talk about any races for the state Senate or the state um, House of Representatives. Um, that's where our local u- newspapers used to fill that void. Uh, and they're falling by the wayside because the model doesn't work like it used to. Right. Uh, when you and I were kids, every town had a, a, a daily that reported these things. And so we do recognize the problem. I'm, I'm on the Committee for Small Business, and there's a bill put forth by Lori Ehrlich, from, I think, Marblehead, she has a bill to prop up newspapers, but it's questionable because I think the money goes directly to papers, and so that could compromise the journalistic essence because, you know, these newspapers are going to be very kind to people like a governor or a speaker that control that sure, money. Right. So perhaps your idea is a better way to do it. I like that. So let the, this car wash that you advertise here, let them have a tax benefit, tax credit, or something that rewards them for advertising in the small and local, local papers, right? Newspapers, because otherwise it'll go to CNN and the Boston Globe, yes. and guys like us are still going to be out. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, I mean, like I was telling Christina, I applied for the rental for my office, right? Yep. I'm paying, I'm paying almost eighteen hundred dollars on Main Street in North End for my office, right? And then COVID hits, yeah. You know, so for two months I've got literally no revenue. You know, that's almost four thousand dollars. That's three thousand wow. something, three thousand six hundred dollars that we had to we had to take out of savings just to pay. And when I signed up for the program, an hour into the program, the money was gone, right? Yeah. They said, we only have room in North Ando for 200 applicants. You're number 241. Sorry, you're out. No, we got to do something, Tom, because a lot of news is not getting reported. So in my towns, uh, a big issue right now is um, housing. Okay, so f- there's 40B developments being proposed in Groveland, West Newbury, and Merrimack. Those are the Pentucket towns. And no one knows about it until it's too late because those local newspapers that used to report on these things, they just don't have the resources. They can't pay writers like they used to, Tom. And so planning board hearings, selectman hearings, they just don't get reported. So the public never hears about what's going on. Because, you know, yeah, technically they're open to the public. We can attend them or watch them on TV. But, geez, who has the time to do that, you know, every night when you have a life to live? We relied on our newspapers to kind of decipher it and tell us what is going on. And it's just not happening as these newspapers fall by the wayside. They are in trouble. And taking that a step further, I mean, I didn't even look at that as a a bill for the newspapers because yours is kind of a win-win because the the advertising cost of these businesses trying to get back up on their feet. I mean, if you could remove even a portion of that cost and like you said, getting the word out, that was one of the problems. I live in Tewksbury. took me for 
there was no way to find who it opened. Right. You know, and that's what you, you want to drive around. I, you have to literally, I was driving up and down 38 to say which signs had an open sign in it because there's no way to find out who's open. But that's the type of thing you need to do because when they were opening, getting people back in the door, you had to tell people you were open. Right. And there was no effective way to do that. Right. Um, by the way, I do question how good the cable does on national news too, but that's a whole I other agree, problem. I agree with you. <laughs> but, the, but they report on it. They report they on it. They do a but, terrible job. Yeah. But, okay. But, yeah. Right. I, I zero. Them, I mean, Municipal or state? Uh, oh, nothing there. Nothing Absolutely they nothing. They can't do it. Yeah. No. So I see that. I thought that was an interesting proposal because to me that sounds like a win-win. I really thought that was going to be almost an, well equal, if not more, benefit to the actual companies that are trying to right. market themselves because right. a local people for local business need to know. Like I said, the simple thing like what's open, yeah, right. what time are they open, what and days aren't they open, how many you got to show up with a mask, what's the <laughs> table size, you know, there was a lot of stuff, especially back in you know May right. June when things were opening up again. And I can't speak for Steve Whipple at um, Thorn Life, um, which by the way is a great newspaper if you live in Thorn, um, but and I can't speak for him, but I'm pretty sure he and myself and some of the other small newspaper owners, small media owners would give a discount. If someone said, "Hey, I'm using you know the the state funding that they they right. gave us uh, you know they gave us three hundred and fifty dollars a month to spend on advertising, we we give them a five hundred dollar ad for three hundred. We, I mean, you know, we're we're looking, we're a small business, mm -hmm. and we're a small business that survives promoting other small businesses. Right. So we're happy to do. That. I know, I, and I'm again, I can't speak for Steve, but I'm knowing him the way I do. I'm sure he'd be willing to do that, and I'm sure a lot of small businesses like yeah. ours would be willing to do mm -hmm. that. Um, I thought Christina made some great points when she was talking about the fact that the small businesses already have jumped through every hoop that they mm -hmm. put in front of them in order to get reopened. But that's what small business people do. Mm -hmm. Small business people, you basically give them a, a list of here's the rules, the regulation, and the problem you're trying to solve, and they will find a way to do it. Sure. Whereas I, I also agreed with her when she said, you know, we're going to have, um, you know, government may not be the best people to tell how to, a small business how to open. Small business people are pretty ingenious when it yes. gets to that. Lenny, where do you see us financially a year from now? You know, the short answer is nobody knows, Tom. We're still sitting on our hunches waiting for something to come down from the feds. That's why we haven't had any um, hearings at all on the budget. I don't think we'll have until maybe late November because we're still waiting for the feds to come down with a final stimulus plan and a final spending plan, um, and of which there is more than one of. Uh, so, some are stimulus plans that are supposed to help small businesses, but some are uh, intended to help uh, state governments help pay for uh, educational costs, and we don't know what that's going to be. Um, even when we talk to our congressmen, like Seth Moulton or, or Lori Trahan, uh, even they're unclear on what that's going to be or even if it's going to happen. And so, um, should schools sh should schools be open? Yeah, you know the governor has said this, Tom. If you're not in the red, if your community's not in the red, there's no reason why your schools can't open. Okay, and, and boy, I'm getting a lot of angry phone calls and emails from parents and students yeah. who are just miffed that we're not open because. Even the doctors and pediatricians we've talked to said it's not healthy for some kid to sit at his table six right. hours a day staring at a laptop. You've got to have that person-to-person -person, um, instru uh, instruction at some point. And so if you're not in the red, if there's not a direct threat to uh, the safety of the students and administration, we should open the schools. See, I would say but, open them even if you are in the red because kids aren't getting sick from it. They're right? not. But, the, but you know what it is. So it's not the kids. It's not the parents. You know who's saying no to that. Yeah, the, the teachers' unions. Yeah. Yeah, they want more money. They always want more money. Teachers' mm. unions are actually very anti-American, I think. Jeff, no? Teachers' unions? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're anti-American. They're, 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 they're anti-me. Yeah, I can well, tell I'm going to say that. they're not supporting you, so you <laughs> yeah. have no reason to hold back. Exactly. <laughs> right? 
But no, Tom, you, you bring up a good point. You know, harp on something else you brought up earlier. You know, at some point we have to rely on personal responsibility and let consenting adults do what consenting adults want to do. Because, you know, if Tom, Jeff, and Lenny want to go out for a drink after this, we know the risk. We're adults, okay? Right. We know how this virus works. And I'm not saying across the board, like, you know, you can't open an arena full of sports fans with tens of thousands of people, okay? But can three individuals go to, to a restaurant or a bar for a drink or a meal? I think that should be left much more so to our discretion at this point, okay? Maybe in the beginning I understood the shutdown, um, but we got to let adults act like adults at some point. See, I would take it even further. That's I know you would. That's why I'm not a state I rep know you, would. you are. I would say open up the Boston Garden, open up the Worcester Centrum. Um, Trump is having these rallies all over the country, and we're not seeing any major death spikes from any of those. And everybody, and I love when CNN, you know, I don't want to get off on the federal stuff, but when, when CNN is yelling and screaming that he's having, why, why is Donald Trump having these rallies? He's putting people at risk. No, no, no. They're making the conscious right. decision. No one makes They sure. know That's the right. risk and they're deciding yeah. to go. And I think the, one of the major, di- people always ask me who don't know politics, what, what's the difference between like a liberal and a conservative? What's the difference between like a Democrat and a Republican? And I think most of it boils down to conservatives want to let you make bad choices if you want to mm-hmm. and let you suffer the consequences if you make those bad decisions. Liberals want the government to tell you what to do and mandate. Um, and you see it between Trump and, and, and uh, Biden, whereas Biden and the Democrats are upset that, that Trump doesn't have a national mask mandate. He doesn't right. have a, a, national, uh, a national policy as to how everyone's supposed to handle COVID. And Trump's position is, you know, agree with it or not, is that should be up to the states. Yeah. That should be up to the right. local governors, local local mayors in, in local towns, and let grown-ups make up their own decisions. Mm-hmm. And so you've got two competing philosophies. I'm kind of with the right. I say, you want to go to a Bruins game? You get COVID. You made that decision. You suffer from the consequences of that decision. The government should stay out of it. Yeah, but the elected official in charge, so Mayor Walsh, for instance, um, would be saddled with any kind of breakout that occurs because he opened up the Boston Garden to a sporting event. Okay, so he doesn't want that. That's what this boils down to. Um, so I understand that's kind of the public realm, but there's a bunch of restaurants on Route 28 out here, right? Individuals decide that, right. whether or not we want to go into it. I mean, I get your point. I'm from the libertarian side of the party. Let individuals make their own choices. And by the way, you know, we're in fairly, we're not obese. We don't have asthma problems. So if we get COVID, we understand the risks. Let us make our own decisions. Right. And, and, and I, and it varies, like with personal choice, it's going to vary from restaurant to restaurant. Sure. And, and mm. you can walk into one and, you know, like uh, Representative Mendicucci said, walk out of it because it right. just doesn't meet your standards. The next one you walk into it, hey, and this is fine, but at least you get to make that choice. Otherwise, the whole strip is closed. Right. There's no choice here. Jeff, what's the first thing you're going to do if you win? Uh, and by the way, no one will celebrate harder than me. Believe me yeah. when I tell you. Well, um, I might. I mean, I. <laughs> I, I like, I'll call you. <laughs> I like Tram. I loved. I like Tram. She's she's a beautiful person. She means well. She's just wrong I've, about everything. I, well, that's what I've said that from the very beginning. I said there's nothing. I have nothing against her personally. I just right. disagree on almost every issue. Right. Um. So so what is what is your number one thing? Let's say you 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 luck out. You win. You take office in January. What's your first? I'm going to have a lot to learn even before January because the, you know this is a new job for me. Um, Lenny walks in; he can speak the language already. There's a whole new language. Everything needs to be learned. So I'll have a lot to learn, and I will start that long before January. But then the first thing in January, I, I'm agreeing with Lenny. 
I want to get involved in the economy. I think that's where I've got the most to offer. And I think that's the biggest issue we're going to have right what, now. What do, you, what do you do for work? So uh, I am right now information systems project manager. So I, I do technology, but I've worked throughout the years in various different companies and you know, I've worked in a how, few. How, how, is your, how has your industry been hit by COVID, the tech industry? Right now, I'm not in a tech in- industry. I'm in a healthcare industry, and we're doing okay through it, as it turns out. Um, but I've previously worked in, you know, financials, defense, um, worked in a few actuarial departments. So when it comes to managing the numbers and stuff, that's kind of where I am. I just do the computer side of that. What do you see the biggest issue that we'll be facing in Massachusetts over the next year? Getting, getting businesses open, getting people back to work, getting the tax revenue back up to where it is. Um, the challenge is you want to you want to increase your tax revenue, but we can't afford to raise taxes on anybody, right? right? Those four, those poor few people that are still working, you know, you can't double their tax burden just because you, a lot of people have auto work. So it's going to be a heck of a balancing act. Mm-hmm. It really is. I, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges there. I think the biggest thing is. Um, we're going to have to really look at the expenses side. Because of that, you, you got to get your revenue to cover your, inexpensive, your expenses. And I think some of those expenses are going to, I don't know, I think there's going to be some tough decisions to make. I, I've made the statement previously, this is, this is not the year to owe anybody any favors on Beacon Hill because I, I don't think there's going to be any money to give away anything. Just things are going to, you're going to have to take a really close look at it. Wendy, we have, um, we have a bunch of colleges in Massachusetts. And uh, most of them pay no taxes. Right, however, right. right. Is there a way we can raise money? They have billions of do- billions with a B, maybe trillions, and I'm not overstating that. They have bill- millions, if not trillions, of dollars in uh, in the bank, and I'm wondering, you know, when um, Lawrence General wanted something from the city of Lawrence, the city of Lawrence said, "Well, you pay no taxes." We're happy to do this favor that you want us to do, but you have to pay TIFs. You have to pay, uh, uh, and it's called the in lieu of taxes. Uh, pilot. Payments. Pi- pilot. Uh, payments in lieu of taxes. Correct. Uh, is there some way we can get Harvard to pony up a couple of million dollars and some of these other colleges with all the – I mean, it wouldn't even yeah. dent what they, what they have in the bank. And we're looking to raise revenue to try and save the Commonwealth, and they've benefited – They've benefited from all of the infrastructure, everything, the infrastructure, the set asides, the lack of paying taxes. Seems like there's a big pool of money there that we could be tapping into. Big pool, Tom. Their endowment is about the size of the Massachusetts budget. That's what I'm saying. Like forty billion, uh, forty something billion. I think their endowment is. I mean, if they're going to be indoctrinating our kids and preaching communism (laughs) in these college in these colleges, they ought to at least be kicking it. Well, you know what? Payment in lieu of taxes, I think, is a good start, and um, they should be doing it because if if you don't ask, they'll never give. Listen. Don't forget, these colleges applied for some of the benefits that were uh, granted during pen- the pandemic. I think Harvard applied for some um, payment, um, you know, benefits uh, that were given to small businesses, the ones that, you know, guys like you were relying on. And like I said, they're sitting on an endowment about the size of the entire Massachusetts budget. Right. And so... So what's like an extra it, 2 or $3 million to them? It's, yeah, it's a rounding error. Think about that. Right. If their endowment is over $40 billion, that's I love a rounding that. It's error. a rounding error. I love it that. It's not even, it's, you know, it's like one-tenth of 1%. Right. So um, it's the least that could be expected. And by the way, they're in cities that get a lot of benefits from the state budget. So under Chapter 70, that's the money the state gives the citizens house for schools. Well, Boston, you know, Cambridge, Sunville, they get a lot of money through Chapter 70. So why don't those colleges and universities pony up a lot of that so that these other towns can get some of that Chapter 70 money. And right. by the way, um, you know, it all comes out of our taxes. And now, as a result, when we want to fund schools in my district, okay, for these small towns, the homeowner has to pay for it. And so we have real estate taxes now that are averaging over $8,000 a year. And wow. I have boxes in my district. I share that with Jeff. 
your average tax bill in Boxford is over $10,000 a year. Wow. Over $10,000. That's not unusual for a five-figure real estate tax bill. And so you go to these other towns like Lawrence, and it's probably one-third that amount. Right. So it's patently unfair. And, and by the way, Lawrence, you know, 90% of their funding comes from the state, and they have to pay for 10% of their schools. In Boxford, it's the other way around. The state gives 10% of their funding, and the homeowners have to fund the other 90%. Right. You know, and part of that is because we have very little commercial real estate in these small towns. But still, if you have a big city with a, a, a university uh, that has these properties, because when a, a university buys a property, it comes off the tax rolls. They don't not only not pay income taxes, they don't pay real estate taxes. So what does the city have to do? Well, they have to raise taxes on the rest of their uh, residents to make up for every property purchased by BC, BU, Harvard, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So it's the least that they could do, at least funding perhaps some of their I'm going to count on you to be the champion for that. The problem is these laws go back a long time. You know, it, it's, they're, they're non-profits like a church or any school. They, mm-hmm. So therefore, they benefit from um, this tax status of being a non-profit. And um, it was created because as a non-profit, you were expected to give something back to the community. So in exchange for that, government said, okay, we're not going to tax you. You won't pay any taxes, not income taxes and not real estate taxes. And they get a lot of other uh, exemptions as well. Um, But this is clearly not the case anymore. These are not some poor little um, schoolhouse created by nuns for poor children. Harvard is a huge institution now. Um, They ought to be able to, to, to put something back. And by the way, I'm a BC graduate. That school was built by Jesuits. Uh, for Catholics who couldn't get into Harvard, okay? We're supposed to help poor families, blue-collar families. That's not the case anymore. Their tuition, no. every bit as high as Harvard. It's like right. 70-something thousand. And they own a bunch of real estate. They could be helping. You know, they're in Newton, they're in Brighton, they're in Chestnut Hill. They could be helping those communities with their school systems so that they, those communities don't have to rely on the state so much. And that frees up money at the state level to help the rest of us. Jeff, politicking in the schools, as we're talking about schools a little bit, um, one of my biggest frustrations, I walk through public schools on a regular basis, whether I'm going in to see a, a, a principal that I know or I'm going to meet with somebody. You're still getting called to the principal's office at his age. You have no idea. Um, and I walk by a physics class and I hear them talking about how Trump is Hitler. Oh. And I said to the guy next to me, I'm not going to say which school it was. It was in Methuen. And I, I, I said to the guy that was walking me through the school, I said, uh, is that a history class? He said, no, that's a physics class. So we went back to stand outside the, the, the classroom for a couple, just a couple of seconds to hear what they were talking about. This was a physics class that was talking about how Trump is Hitler and how Republicans are Nazis and global warming, blah, blah, blah. And I said to him, I said to the guy, I said, is this going on in every class? He said, Tom, you have no idea. He said, Tom, you have no idea. In math classes, you're, they're, these kids are hearing it. They're being mm-hmm. indoctrinated. What can, a state, what can the state legislature do to stop the politicking inside our classrooms. Is that a public school? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, these kids, and I know because they come in and they apply for jobs with me all the time. I used to never ask them for, for a, a job application. Now I do it just for fun. Now I give them a job application just to, just to look at like the three sentences that I asked them, like, why do you want to work here? Right in three sentences. There's no commas. There's no punctuation. Every word is capitalized. Everything is wrong. And I'm like, you guys, you realize this is a newspaper, right? Like... And the, but they know all about global warming. They know all about abortion. They know all about transgender bathrooms. And they all think Trump is Hitler. They can't read a regular clock. Can't balance a checkbook. They can't do math in their head, mm-hmm. right? But they all know Trump is Hitler. 
They don't know that Democrats care about the poor. That's what they think, because that's what they've been told. They don't think the Republicans are Nazis. How do we stop this? Because that's not part of the curriculum. See, that's, right. the, that's the, the part. You get to the, what's the state do? The state has some control over the curriculum, yeah. but they don't really have control over what the teachers are going to say that goes outside the boundary of the, cur- the curriculum. So what can the state do? I mean... I don't know if this, what the state can do, to be honest with you. I think you've got to get that down to your local boards. You've got to have, you know, when those situations are brought up and identified, people actually have to say this is wrong and do something about it. Probably within the schools, the school system, school boards, right. um, you've got school committees. Um, but at a state level, I don't think, you know, you can mandate that something that isn't part of the curriculum be taken out of the curriculum because it's not there to begin with. And, and so. this is where I betray my, my, uh, my conservative values because – it seems like if they're going to get all this money from the state and then they, and they're abusing it by doing some of the things that they're doing in our schools mm-hmm. and we see it on a regular basis, maybe that maybe the funding should be tied to that. Maybe, maybe it should be, you know, no politicking in your schools. If we find out you got politicking going on in your schools, you're not going to get this money next year. Money. Anybody? Yeah. I'll point to Lenny. Hard to swing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, there's a disconnect between uh, the money and the requirements we put on. We do have um, certain things like Linda Campbell put in um, a curriculum requiring civics be taught. Okay. And so, but it's, it's broad, Tom. And so it, it's not like we tell them what civics have to be taught. You know, it's, it was a good bill. I voted for it too. Cause most people, most people can't even name their state rep or state Senator Tom. They can't name. I'm talking I adults know. now I know. and they don't know how a bill is passed. They don't even know what Congress does. They, most Kids, I think, can't name the three branches of government. Right. Um, so that's what civics is supposed to solve. But it gets into minutia of you know the day to day activities uh, that a legislature just. I hate to say this, Tom. It's, we, it's almost impossible for a state legislator to to make sure that doesn't happen again. Uh, tie funding to it, yeah, we could try, but boy, that's a tough axe to swing. I'll tell you. I'd love to be able to do that because it is a real problem, and there is absolutely a lot of indoctrination that's happening, not just in K through twelve, but also in our community colleges and, and state colleges, universities. Um, and it needs to be dealt with because, um, you know, there is a lot of brainwashing and indoctrination taking place. There absolutely is. Um, but it's it's a tough axe to swing, Tom, for a state legislator. I hate to tell you. Yeah. Especially with the teachers unions having so much money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. L- yeah. Our last topic, police, public safety. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that uh, you've got a movement across the country to defund police. Mm-hmm. These are people that hate America. These are people. Listen, I'm, I'm just going to call it what it is. These are just people who hate America, right? They don't want us to be safe, and they want us to collapse. Um, what can you guys do at the state level to help the police, to give them a little bit more authority, to take off the shackles that they have on their hands? I talk to cops all over the state because you know because my because of my my position. Um, I talk to police chiefs all over the state. And they're frustrated and they're scared. Yeah. And they're worried that they're going to have to go out there someday and they're going to have to shoot somebody because they have to. And some asshole is going to have a camera that's only going to catch the last minute of the, of, of the conflict and they're going to be on CNN. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and they're going to be attacked. And, and their department's going to be defunded because of it, right? All it takes is one incident. What can you guys do with the state house to help these cops, A, get the shackles off and, and B, you know, just to give them the tools that they need. Well, you know, you probably saw the Boston Globe article today on the police reform bill uh, that was passed in July. Uh, and before that passed, I talked to a lot of cops and a lot of chiefs, and they were unanimous. They were all in favor of the original bill, Tom. They had no problem on things like, you know, barring chokeholds. And they also had no problem on a licensing or certification 
program because right now there is none. Right. And, and believe me, no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop. Absolutely. They want to be able to get rid of it. And every chief was all in favor of it. So I was optimistic we we're going to have a good bill. And all of a sudden, all this other stuff got put into it, like removing qualified immunity. And it just came off the rails. And you don't have to take my word for it. Look at the actual vote. Uh, it's, it's like 60-something people voted against it. Okay, there's only 31 Republicans. That means more Democrats voted mm-hmm. against it wow. than Republicans. Yeah. It was one-sided. It was, you know, usually a good bill has bipartisan support. No, this only had the support of far-left extremists. And the other reason you know it's a bad bill, the House version and the Senate version were different, so it goes to a conference committee. So that happened way back in July. They still don't have a bill. Here we are, what, mid-October? Right. We still don't have a bill. You know why? Because the bill sucks. It's awful. It's a terrible bill. So to answer your question, what can we do? First of all, shoot down that bill and take all that stuff out of it, like removing qualified. And by the way, it takes away qualified immunity protection from cops, firefighters, nurses, first responders. It doesn't take it away from the politicians. You'll right. Notice. We still have it. Right. We'll still have our qualified immunity protections, but the people that risk their lives will lose it. And now, instead of just risking their lives, they could ris- risk losing everything they've ever worked for, including their homes, because of some frivolous lawsuit. Right. Um, absolutely shameful. And like I said, there's a reason why it has not come out of conference committee, because it's a terrible bill. I, th- I thought it was interesting. that I think it was the same week that Massachusetts voted on that bill to take away the qualified immunity. Uh, the state of Georgia, and they, they put a bill in that allowed police to sue people that falsely accuse them. It was like the total opposite, and that one went through down there that no, same really? week. And it's like two different perspectives of how you re- basically, I think, respect your law enforcement officers. I like his answer better than mine. I do. <laughs> That's a good one, Jeff. You should look it up. I can I can give you the bill. So, uh, But it was really interesting. I mean, they went the opposite extreme because they had a lot of pressure, and they did some stuff that um, similar to Massachusetts but they weren't going to do one-sided. And that's the thing I think the Massachusetts was one-sided. It, it really yep. came out as anti-cop. And, and, and no, if you're going to put in reforms and you're going to put in certifications, I mean, I've got certifications. I have to renew and recertify that's every right. two years on sure. about three different certifications I have. Um, that's acceptable. I mean, they requalify on the range, right? I mean, that's just part of the job. You can't work in a barbershop without a license. Exactly. Think about it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I think I don't think that was the problem. But then you started to just for lack of a better term, bully the cops. Right. And, um, but other states, how you look around and they were saying, okay, if we're going to take this away, we're going to give this to you so that it's, you know, it's fair. Right. And we didn't do that. It seems like there's not a lot of fairness when it comes to Massachusetts, when it comes to the police. I see these guys going out there and women, they go out there, they put their mm-hmm. lives on the line. I mean, they're literally willing to take a bullet yeah. mm-hmm. for people who hate them. I always go back to the Dallas Six who got killed and I was very uh, involved with that. Um, with some of the families. And, you know, it was a Black Lives Matter rally that these guys were there to protect the Black Lives Matter people who were calling for their deaths. And there were six of them gunned down mm-hmm. at a Black Lives rally. And it still blows my mind that these were human beings that went out to protect people calling for their deaths yeah. and gave their lives protecting people who were calling for their deaths. So to me, these people are heroes. And I just I want I want more for them if they're going to be mm-hmm. going into people's homes with his domestics, you know, um, if they're going to be going pulling babies out of burning cars. Usually, when there's a fire, and I know from following police calls in Lawrence, when there's a fire, the cops are usually the first ones in the mm-hmm. door because they actually get there before the fire yep. trucks do. Yep. And then I see the way they're vilified by the media, mm-hmm. and and, the, and they're being def- de- 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 people trying to defund them, the, which makes me less safe. The defunding is illogical, too, for what you're trying to do. Because, you know, being in business, 
you identify problems. The first thing you have to do is when you identify problems, especially if you need additional training, additional certifications, you have to increase funding to support money. that. Exactly. They, they made no sense. I couldn't figure the logic of saying, okay, we're going to take away money because we think you need more training. And it was like, <laughs> right. that, that just didn't work for me at all. I've been in business. It never works right. that way. You're going to be hiring people that take care of that. You're going to be taking them off the job for a while. You got to pay for that. I mean, I'm not opposed to some, you know, reform, and that sounds like nobody is. But you, you got to have the logic that says that type of stuff actually costs money. It doesn't cost negative money to do it. Um, but to your point, I think some of it was also um, people who were wanted them to be defunded. It wasn't that they just wanted to take the money away. There were some groups who wanted the money. I know. Uh, if you looked around in right. some unions, you've already spoken about numerous times on here. It was like uh, we want to get them out of the schools. But not the money that was there. Right. I think that we wanted to transfer it. So, right. well, if you need an example, just look at New York. I think De Blasio defunded the crime unit in New York City. Mm -hmm. How's that working out for them? Not too good. I heard you can't even get a moving van because people are moving out of there in droves. You can't even get a moving yeah. company to show up to help you move out of that city now. Right. It's it's ridiculous. It's going to go back to what it was. It's like they didn't learn from history. You're old enough to remember a New York City that. Ran out of money back in the 70s, mm -hmm. and what a crime-ridden, filthy place it was back then. It, they almost had to declare bankruptcy. So they crawled out of that hole a long time ago. And it's like, some people like de Blasio never learned that. They right. just didn't learn the lesson. No, you can't defend the police. They, I they I, need more money. I think, mm -hmm. that's a, that's a, uh, I think that's a problem of people who are ideological uh, and not practical yeah. holding elected office. Point. I mean, if you're in there, and even like I, I have friends that are libertarians, right? Mm -hmm. And if they had their way, there'd be no USDA. Nobody would inspect your meat, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that sounds great because what their, their, their position is, well, look, if you go to Jim's meat shop and Bob's meat shop and you get sick at Jim's meat shop, then you <laughs> end up going to Bob's meat shop. Um, I, I still think we should be stopping people from getting sick, right? So... Um, I forgot where I was going. Tell so that to the what, guy with food poisoning, yeah, right? One, one of the things when I first announced to my friends and family that I was running, I said, you know, the first, I had three bullet points, and the first one was you should be able to keep the money you earn. Right. Well, you really can't. You got to pay some taxes because I do want somebody to take out the trash and the firemen to show up and the police. Right. So you don't get to do that. To your point, right. there is a practicality to oh, all that's that type of decisions. That's what I was going for. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Um, final thoughts. How, wait, how are we doing on time, Ben? We good? We're good. All right. Uh, final thoughts, uh, Jeff DeFore, You're running for state representative. Yeah. You're running in the what? Uh, people. Eighteenth Essex. Nobody ever which remembers is, that. They is, don't even know who the state. Yeah, rep which is, is part of uh, Tuxbury Andover, North Andover, and Boxford. Tuxbury Andover, North Andover, and Boxford. Didn't you have Drake in that at one point? I do not. It might have been at one point. Yeah. It is not there now. Okay. So um, could help it, you, Drake. It. Well, it is. Well, actually, it's like you know where I live, and right across the river is Drake. It, and yeah, we're we're kind of the the more conservative area. Right. You can just swim across the river we're all friends right. so yeah we're good might come out glowing though it is yeah the, it is well the i don't know man. i'm hearing he's taking good care of <laughs> oh, it. oh yeah it'll be all cleaned <laughs> up yeah yeah but well, any la final thoughts uh you or yeah how long have you been state rep now is it eight years 12 yeah years? i'm in my fourth term so it'll, it'll be eight years soon all right but um you know one thing that never gets mentioned in, in these races is uh you know balance um in on beacon hill you know we're, we're probably one of the most one party states in america uh, Democrats have 80% of our state reps. They have 90% of our state senators. 
and they have every statewide office except for governor, and they have the entire delegation to Washington. Well, you say except for governor, but that's not really true. I know really you were going to say I knew <laughs> you were going to say that. But the, and I love him, and I'll support him. I like yeah. Charlie Baker, but let's face you. it, he's not a Republican. He's not. In, in any other state. Right. In Massachusetts. On, yeah. any other, <laughs> in, on, on any other planet, he's not a, he's not a Republican. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, but that's okay. But you know, in our branch of government, uh, we're terribly lopsided, and that hurts the Commonwealth. It really does. You know, Christina Minicucci brought up that thing on CSO notifications on the river. Um, you know, the little story behind that is that, you know, Jim Calquist and I are Republicans. We're at the end of the river, okay? He's got Amesbury, Salisbury, Newburyport, and I've got Newbury, Groveland. So everything dumped upriver ends up in our district. And so we meet with the governor on a regular basis. Charlie Baker talks with the GOP caucus every month. He has us on a first name basis. And so we were able to get. Well, there's in. only like three of you, so that yeah. should be easy. But that's great <laughs> because now we were able to get in his ear and tell him how vital this was to happen. Because usually things like this are like, yeah, it's important, but we'll get to it. So we told him how vitally important this was to do now. And at the same time, state reps like Christina Minicucci and Andy Vargas and Linda Campbell, they have a good relationship with the speaker. So those are the two most powerful men in, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And when it came time to the budget, we were able to get those two powerful guys on board to, to know that we needed to get this funding and you need to get it now. And that helps our communities to have this bipartisan representation. I can't stress that enough. Um, and as you pointed out, we get along famously well. We, we develop reputations yeah. of working across the aisle. Uh, we've developed relationships over the course of many years. And so I can call Linda Campbell or Andy Vargas any day or night, and they can call me any day or night to say, hey, by the way, Haverhill needs this or Groveland needs that, or whatever the case is, and we can get things done because of that bipartisan representation. So, um, you know, that's something to keep in mind for voters um, as they go to the polls. Um, well, starting now, I guess. Well, yeah, it's already started. yeah, it started, what, a month ago? Yeah, <laughs> it seems like it. Yeah. Seems like it. But, you know, that's something that never gets brought up by the media in Massachusetts. Yeah. You know, they'll harp on Republicans in other states and talk about all the awful things they do, like gerrymandering. Or but, you know, they never talk about how that happens here, where it was invented. Right. By the way, Republicans here have a bill to create a independent commission for creating the new districts. We just did a census, Tom. We're going to be doing redistricting any month now, right? And we have a bill to do that on a um, nonpartisan basis. We can't even get that bill out of committee. No. And Democrats in the media will complain about this in other states, but they won't talk about it happening right under their own nose right here in Massachusetts. Well, as we then see, I'll be in Drake, by the way. Right, right. There you go. And then you'll have Drake. <laughs> but it, as yeah. you see on CNN, they have, yep. the Democrats seem to have situational ethics. Mm -hmm. They care about gerrymandering when it, does, when it hurts them. Exactly. When it helps them, they're all on board with it, right? Yeah. And that's the same thing with you know uh, uh, targeted taxes, tax yep. relief, everything else. If it helps their party, they love it. If it doesn't help their party, it's awful. It's the end of the world. Well, look at the biggest story right now. They're all on, you know, in a frenzy over Mitch McConnell uh, allowing this Supreme Court justice to be chosen at the, at the last minute. And, he, and they said, well, he said we're not going to do this during uh, a presidential election. Now he's changing the rules. Well, you know what? Massachusetts did that twice. When Mitt Romney was governor, Tom, he had to fill a vacancy for U.S. Senate. And the rule said a governor can appoint a replacement because we were losing John Kerry. Okay, so they flipped the rules and said, no, no, we're not going to let a Republican governor appoint a replacement. Fast forward a few years, Deval Patrick is the governor, Ted Kennedy dies in office. Guess what the legislature did? We're going to change the rules back and right. let the governor pick a replacement. Right. So which is it? You know, you can't get pissed off at McConnell doing this and then 
ignore it when your own state legislature does the same thing. Right. It's mm-hmm. re- ridiculous. And what's really funny as a side note is, because I watch CNN all day in my office because it keeps my blood pressure up and I can oh, get stuff done, tough. right? And, and, I, and, and they're wringing their hands. It's just so awful. With, yeah. But they're all liars. And it, you know they come on every day. Trump is a Nazi. Trump is a liar. Everything he says is wrong. Everything he says is bad. Republicans are evil. Republicans are Nazis. And then they're shocked that they lied two years ago about the Supreme Court. Shocked. They're shocked that these evil Nazis lied to them. It's not even like they believe their own rhetoric. But I I do appreciate you and Jeff and Christina Minicucci, who was here earlier, that that you guys kind of walk the walk when it comes to not having the hatred for the other side. I see it so much on Facebook, so much on social media. I was talking to someone this morning, and and we mentioned about reaching across the aisle, and it was another politician, and they said, you you should never even have to worry about that. This shouldn't be party. He said, it should always be people and policy is what you're trying to work on, and and the rest should just be out of the way. I thought that was a good way to go. Election day is November 3rd. It is Tuesday, um, I, I at uh, least. <laughs> am I right about that? Did I get that wrong? No, you, you got, got it all, right. You got you're it right. I went down here today. Over twenty percent people that are going to vote are already voted. Right. Yeah. Almost thirty so percent. Almost thirty. Yeah. yeah. So I, if you're a Democrat, you should vote by mail. Right. You should you should put it in a drop box. Vote early uh, because we know that nothing could ever happen to your ballot, and your ballot is totally one hundred percent safe. If you're not a Democrat, please don't do that. Uh, because we know that there's a lot of shenanigans going on with the early voting and with the mail-in voting. Go out in person and hand your ballot into the into the machine. I go in North Andover High School. I mark my ballot. I go to the machine. I tell the lady who I am, and I put it into the machine, and I watch the machine count it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a conservative, if you're a, if you're a uh, Republican, you should be voting that way. If you're a Democrat and you're voting Democrat, vote by mail. Vote absentee. At, at the last vote, possible moment. Yeah. Vote, vote by email if you want to vote by email. However you want to vote, you vote that way. Um, and, but, but whatever you do, please vote. Um, if you're stupid and you don't know anything about politics and you're one of those people who doesn't even know who your state rep is, please don't vote. Please. I mean, and nobody ever says this and I get a lot of hate mail after I say it. I say it every election. If you're not informed, you're doing more damage. I mean, I don't care if you're, if you're not informed and you're thinking of voting for Trump. If you're not informed, if you don't know who your state rep is, if you don't know where you normally vote, Maybe you shouldn't be making these decisions. If you haven't been following the news, if you haven't been following the different candidates, if you're not sure, you can really do one of two things. You can, you can go online and brush up on it and learn who your state rep is and learn what a state rep does and the branches of government and then vote. Or stay the hell home. <laughs> because what we don't need is a bunch of people who don't know what the hell they're doing going in and causing havoc on our ballot. Now, I know nobody, every, everybody has this idea that everybody should vote. More people that vote, the better. I don't believe that for one minute. The more people that vote, the more screwed up things get. <laughs> it Really, it, it, leave it to the people who know what the hell they're doing and who know what, what a state rep is, know what a state senator is, know what a governor does. And then if you want to vote, fine. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care if you vote against my candidate or not. Uh, state rep candidate Jeff Dufour, uh, state representative Lenny Merritt, and state representative uh, Christina Minicucci, I thank all of you for being here today. I think this is a really good discussion for people before the election. I want to thank McLennan Real Estate, uh, AFC Urgent Care, uh, Ronnie Marshan, I missed him at the beginning of the show, Marshan and Son Construction. Uh, if you need somebody to put a uh, roof on, so put on a, a, a deck, you have something uh, you need taken care of at your house to call Marsan and Construction. They'll do all the social distancing baloney stuff, and they'll they'll keep you safe. Uh, EIS uh, in EIS uh, security and gun training. Jeff Dufour, state representative candidate. Lady Mira, state representative candidate. Barelli's Deli, the best deli platters in the Merrimack Valley. They're on Merrimack Street in Methuen. 
I'm going to be heading there right from the show. Clear Path New England, helping homeless veterans. Uh, JG's Ice Cream. It, it doesn't really matter if it's cold out or not. Ice cream is always good. A free uh, plug for North End of a Car Wash, Don Scientech, four-star lighting and electric. And, uh, and, and I think our new advertiser coming in next week, we want to give a free plug to uh, Andover Optical, I think, is coming on board next week. Uh, thank you to everybody. I will see you next week for a full election preview. I might even do like an hour and a half. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to go. We're going to go over every candidate for state rep in the area, including New Hampshire. We're going to talk about the, uh, the New Hampshire races, the Massachusetts races, and um, Kane. Our new mascot, Kane, who won the election to replace Freddie in the Valley Patriot. Kane, the uh, 11-month-old German Shepherd, is going to be here with us to, uh, next week to, to go through all the election right. stuff. And he's got some questions about dog parks for all the uh, state reps. So. <laughs> uh, ben, our fine producer, thank you so much. Thanks to uh, Dave at the Two Guys Smoke Shop. We'll see you guys next week. It sounds like Melvin Taylor says we got to go home. So go home already. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.